the Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine on your own terms. Today, we are on the path of personal development. Today, on the Physician's Road podcast, we talk to Dr. Alex Porter Humphrey, a neuro-oncologist in Arizona who, while still early in her career, has already established an endowed scholarship at her undergraduate alma mater, as well as a national nonprofit dedicated to providing scholarships and other support to diverse students in medical school. Learn how she did it and how you can too. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Physicians Road podcast. I'm Dr. Eric Tate. Today we're on the path of personal development and I'm so happy to have a friend and colleague that I've known now for almost 24 years now, if we go back that far, um, back in college, uh, Alex Porter Humphrey. Uh, She is interesting because she's done an early kind of philanthropic process um, and wants to share with us kind of why we as physicians and younger professionals don't have to wait until we're retired to to let our passions in the philanthropic and the nonprofit space um, have to wait and that we can do these things while we are still in the middle of practice and a thriving practice. And so I wanted to have Alex on one to kind of talk about that because it's very interesting. It's very rare that... um, physicians in, an, in our age bracket set these types of what I like to call kind of capacity building institutions up at early in our career. Um, but secondly, to also allow her to promote what it is she's doing, because what she's doing is giving back to um, the house of medicine in a way that I think is very important and something that we want to support here at the Physicians Road. And so, Alex, I mean, I've known you for a long time, but the people want to know kind of who you are, kind of your pathway. How did you come to medicine? And so can you kind of talk about where you grew up and kind of schooling and then college and then eventually the medical school and then um, into your professional life as well? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I am an Arizona native, born and raised in Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, during high school, it became very clear to me that I was ready to my wings, do something different. And I uh, applied to one place only, and that was Spelman College. That's where I wanted to go to college. And my dad said, oh, but you should probably have a backup plan just in case. And um, I said, oh, we don't have to worry about that. This is where I am going to school. And thankfully, I was awarded a presidential scholarship to Spelman College, which really starts the story of why philanthropy is so important to me. And so I was able, um, during my time at Spelman, to have all four years fully paid for, including room and board, which meant that I had no undergraduate debt by the time I started medical school. And my third year Spelman, I spent a year abroad at the University of Sussex in Brighton, England. And there were so many things that would come up different things that I wanted to do. And people would say, well, if you want to be a doctor, you really can't do this. So you really shouldn't do that. And so um, that was step two in my um, attempt at, at, changing sort of the narrative of what it takes to get into medical school and what good physicians may need. Because I felt that that year abroad, in addition to 
the time that I was um, in Atlanta at Spelman really have shaped who I am. And um, ultimately, I went to Temple University School of Medicine in Philadelphia after I graduated from Spelman. And when I got there, I was shocked when I, uh, sticker shock, I guess maybe is the word, when I recognized that one, there was no way my parents were going to be able to help me pay for this. Number two, the only options when I um, had that first financial aid meeting were I could uh, pay for medical school by joining the military. And if I did that, I would have to limit myself to a few specialties. Um, and I understood that I have to pay back the military the time that they paid for my medical school. Another option was a primary care loan. And that then, before I even had taken a single class in medical school, would uh, limit me to doing something like family medicine or internal medicine, which was not a problem. But I started well, what else could I be? What else can I do? And when I was um, a child, before he took other uh, a career path, uh, uh, Ben Carson wrote a brilliant book. He was a gifted neurosurgeon and he wrote The Gifted Hands. And my dad said, oh, you should read this. And that's when I started to think about neurosciences and that black people can be interested in the brain and make a difference. And I thought, well, if I do this primary care loan, how am I ever going to be a neurosurgeon? How is that going to work out? And so ultimately, I uh, found my way to the, the private loan table and realized this is the only way that I'm going to be able to give myself the freedom and the flexibility to explore what it is that I might be good at, what I want to do. But I also, at that moment, committed myself to severe indebtedness. And so by the time I finished medical school, I was over $200,000 in debt. Um, I went to, uh, I decided that I wanted to be a neurologist, ultimately. Unfortunately, I re realized that neurosurgeons need a microscope to operate, and it made me motion sick, and there was no way that I was going to be able to get through those long cases. So I found myself interested in being a neurologist, and um, if I was going to do that, I wanted to go to the top uh, neurology training program in the country, and at the time, that was in Rochester, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic. And so I got there solely for my career and moved into a place uh, and the landlord said, oh, there's the neatest guy right on the end and you guys should meet. And so uh, my husband who graduated from Howard uh, University School of Medicine, he and I got married a couple of years later and then together owed over half a million dollars in debt. And so ultimately we had to figure out how are we going to get this sorted out? Here we are young wanting to do all the things that um, young people do, especially after they're you know, graduating from residency. We wanted to buy a house and all of that, yet we owed um, the equivalent of what was, would be a mortgage on a very nice house just in medical school loans. And so all of that ultimately is what led to us talking today about Elevate Med. But I practice in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm a neuro-oncologist here at Mayo Clinic, um, meaning that I uh, treat patients with primary brain cancers as well as neurologic complications from their um, primary cancers and systemic therapies. Got it. And so did you do oncology as well, or was is this just a subset of neurology? It's a subspecialty of, from neurology. And so I did uh, uh, neurology residency, neuro-oncology fellowship, and then have the board certifications in both. Great. Perfect. All right. Cool. Um, and so that's a great kind of pathway and leading us through. Um, I know we want to get through everything, so I may circle back to the, your early upbringing uh, at the end, depending on how, how much time we have. And so you talked about kind of your time at Spelman, your time abroad, um, really crystallizing for you 
kind of philanthropy and um, in your mind. Talk about that a little bit. How did it crystallize for you and how did you end up coming to create Elevate Med? When I was at Spelman, as I mentioned, I had a presidential scholarship. And so, um, and the only way I, um, or the way that scholarship was made possible was because of donors. And so when I was at Spelman, having grown up in Scottsdale, Arizona, I had taken on this label in my high school, although it was a large high school, there was probably only 10 or so black students. So I was always the smart black girl. And then when I got to Spelman, I was surrounded by smart black girls. So then I had to figure out, well, who is Alex? How am I different? And I was able to, um, how am I unique? And what is my purpose in that uniqueness? And that's really what solidified um, for me during my time at Spelman. And then when I went to England for the first time, I wasn't just a black girl. I was an American. And that's what made me different. It wasn't necessarily um, a thing. It was a almost a citizenship um, thing and recognize that in some ways, um, in a lot of ways, right, we're all in this together. But the things that um, the way that humans want to divide and classify is all um, very interesting and, and unique. And then having had that experience going back to Spelman and then off to North Philadelphia at uh, Temple University, which is a very diverse medical school, I recognize that there are some supports that medical students from underrepresented backgrounds need in order to be successful. And unfortunately, what's happening in medicine that we're seeing, even in the time that um, you and I went to medical school, Eric, but even, even still moving forward, unfortunately, we're recognizing that three quarters of medical students that are accepted now are coming from affluent families. And so there are so many financial barriers that when you start talking about students taking on additional indebtedness, in addition to what they're already having to struggle with, it really gave me a passion and a heart for um, doing something different about it. And, you know, when I um, decided to go into neurology, somebody said, oh, well, you don't look like a neurologist. And I was like, well, hang on, let me grab my bow tie. Let me make it work out so that you can see that this is, um, this is what I do. But they weren't wrong. And when I go, I was just, we had this study for neuro-oncology meeting a couple of weeks ago. I'm the most senior black woman neuro-oncologist in the country. That means there's nobody before me. So nobody, those people weren't wrong to say that I didn't look like a neurologist or a neuro-oncologist. But my point is in these spaces where there aren't many of us, we have to, um, we really do have to show up. And it's important that we're in, in positions of leadership so that students, trainees, people looking will notice and see themselves in places like us, where we are. And so, all that to say, once my husband and I um, uh, figured out we needed some um, help to figure out how to get out of this debt cycle, we had a wonderful financial planner who helped us um, get out of debt. We were disciplined, um, but we're able to get rid of that debt within seven years-ish, seven, eight years-ish. And then I felt like I needed to pay Spellman back for the money that they invested in the, the presidential scholarship. And so and that was my first step into philanthropy by creating an endowed scholarship at Spelman. That's in my name. I have an annual scholarship and an endowed scholarship there. And then once I realized that that was something that was doable um, at my age stage, ultimately that's what we started thinking about. Well, what can we do for medical students? How could we create the thing that we wish that we always had, which was money, um, mentorship, 
financial management education because that was probably the most important thing that um, that we've had to learn along the way, and then leadership training because physicians end up being leaders in whatever spaces they uh, whatever spaces we find ourselves in. Great, perfect, and so elevate MD. Talk about it from a from you talked about it kind of from a heart standpoint in terms of what brought you to creating it. So talk a little bit about. Uh, sorry, Elevate Med, excuse me. Um, talk about programmatically kind of what it's currently doing and what your, what's your long-term vision for it. Yeah. My goal is ultimately to see a physician workforce that looks like the populations that we serve. We know that there's severe underrepresentation of certain groups, not just in medicine in general, but particularly once you start getting into the specialties and specialty care. And we know that um, that is there are so many um, uh, uh, so many issues that ultimately lead to health disparities, but improving physician workforce diversity, improving cultural competencies um, amongst physicians, um, being able to have an understanding of our patients, where they're coming from, um, all of that is one aspect that ultimately can help improve uh, health disparities. And so that's the, that's the big goal, is to see a physician workforce that looks like the population that we care for. The short-term goal and how we're trying to make that happen is to encourage young people of color to apply to medical school again. If you look at the numbers of black men applying to medical school, there really hasn't been a change in the rate when you look at 1970-something compared to 2000-something. Yet we know there are so many more black men that are in college now compared to 1970-something. So why aren't they choosing medicine? Why aren't many of us choosing medicine? And one of the issues is what I alluded to previously. It's the cost. It's the, um, the socioeconomic game that uh, not only applying to medical school, but it getting into and staying in medical school has become. And so our goal through Elevate Med, and the M and the D are capitalized for the reason, because we for a reason, we really do want to elevate physicians and we want to create this sustainable cycle of support for physicians, that for student physicians, so medical students, <clears throat> that includes the scholarships, that will be um, uh, re-upped each year as long as they remain within good academic standing. Um, mentorship, we believe very firmly that you can't be what you can't see. And so we want to be able to um, really um, liberate these students' minds to start to imagine themselves as those super subspecialists um, if they so desire. And so I would have never thought about being a neurosurgeon had I not been exposed to the gifted hands and what kinds of work than uh, Carson was doing. And so I really do think that um, showing students early on what's possible um, can only uh, benefit all of us. And then third, as I mentioned, the financial management education, our goal ultimately is for all of our scholars to one day become donors. And this is um, an important cycle in order for Elevate Med to remain sustainable. And then finally, as I alluded to, the leadership training. When you start looking at healthcare leadership in the United States, that's another area of severe underrepresentation. And so, again, if we have our leaders, the leaders of healthcare organizations um, that reflect the patient population, I think that we'll start to see some differences in some of those health disparities. So, not just at the top when we're talking about, you know, the, the CEOs of um, uh, healthcare organizations like Mayo Clinic is a physician-run organization. Um, 
but also just in our local practices because physicians really are leaders. And so um, I believe that that's an important aspect of the, the comprehensive scholars program that we're creating. And so we just launched in May and we'll be giving $100,000 worth of scholarships this spring. So spring 2020 to be applied to the 2020-2021 school year. Great. Now let's go tactical. So someone who's listening, who has a passion, let's say in something else, talk about the process of one, let's talk about back at Spelman doing an endowed scholarship back at your alma mater. This is something that many people I think want to do. And can you talk about the general process of what that looks like? Um, so someone can understand like kind of what that, what that looks like. And then we'll go into um, setting up uh, Elevate Med as well. So let's start with an endowed scholarship back at, a, back at an institution. What was that right. process? Yeah. So in order to start the endowed scholarship, you initially meet with their development office. And so each college or university has um, a, a the, the development officer who can walk you through the different sorts of scholarships that can be started and how to do so. And so what I learned is that in order to have an endowed scholarship, there's um, a minimum requirement for that to be used. Um, however, once you meet that number for that endowed scholarship, it sits in the endowment for a number of years until it matures, so to speak, and then the scholarship is made available. And so that was the long-term goal for me, that I wanted to have this endowed scholarship that will last in perpetuity as long as the, the school is um, there and functioning. So I started working on that. But in the meantime, I wanted a student to benefit from the dollars now. So then I created a second scholarship type, which an annual scholarship. And that one you can really, um, at least the way that it's set up at Spelman, you can do for any uh, amount of money. And so, um, and you have the opportunity to work with their development officers in order to establish the criteria. They may have some recommendations regarding what they what the typical GPA is for their scholarship recipients and that sort of thing. But whether I wanted the scholarship recipient to be someone who's five six and a mid-length bob that lives from Scottsdale, Arizona, I could be that specific if I wanted. Mainly, what I um, uh, established for that criteria for both the uh, annual scholarship and the endowed scholarship was that I wanted the person to be pre-med. Their, their major really wasn't important to me. I think that, as I mentioned before, wanting to change the narrative of medicine, I think young people get, get stuck in, oh, I have to be a biology major, and that's the only way that I'm going to get to medical school, yet they may have additional passions. And so I really wanted to help um, reiterate that the arts are important. I believe that being an English major at Spelman College helps me in everything that I do. And so um, as long as the person was pre-med, I um, was fully supportive of it. They had an arts major um, and, you know, that the, still the pre-med requirements. And so those are the two scholarships that are available at Spelman. As I mentioned, the endowed um, scholarship has to sit for a number of years. I think the number might be five. And so, but every institution is a bit different. So you would have to look into your local alma mater to find out what their requirements are. The base, the, the minimum for an endowed scholarship at Spelman College is $50,000. And so um, that may be different at different institutions as well. Got it. Yeah, because I think at Morehouse, I think it's $100,000 um, <laughs> for that, because uh, we had to do one for, uh, in the name of somebody who had, who had passed away. So do they administer the scholarship for you or do, do students apply to you? And then how, how does that process work? At Spelman, they 
um, will make, they'll uh, provide you with a list of, you can be as involved or as uninvolved as you would like. Um, what I've asked is for them to um, show me sort of the top students and then I help make a decision from there. Um, and so initially for the annual scholarship that was awarded to a woman, uh, a Spelman woman who at the end of her freshman year. So she is now a senior. And so I won't have the opportunity again to um, select the next scholar until the next school year. Got it. And so is it where they're writing essays? You're just, they're submitting resumes just yes. from a nuts, yep. and, nuts and bolts standpoint in terms of how you set it up. Yeah, so what I've set up there is just a statement. Um, I assume that everything is fine with their GPA. And really, I and that's something that is um, my own personal bugaboo, because for me, it's not always about the numbers. It's more about the person. And so um, a statement is the main thing and a letter of support. Got it. All right, perfect. And so for those listening who want to do something like that, you just have to check with, I guess, institutional advancement, um, alumni giving. Each institution is going to have their own um donor process, but there is a donor process. And so you don't need an extraordinary amount of money to begin the process. And oftentimes you can fund it over a certain amount of years. So you don't have to drop 50,000, 100,000 at one time. You can fund it over years and then it becomes an endowed scholarship um, as well. Um, So let's talk about kind of Elevate Med and that process of setting that up. Um, Can you kind of walk people through what that looks like? Absolutely. And one of the things that I, I wanted to mention is that Um, what I learned from our uh, financial advisor when we were working so hard to get out of debt is just keep the same, keep the same lifestyle. Don't go for broke. Don't go for that, you know, whatever you're seeing on TV with the uh, married to medicine lifestyle and all of that. And so ultimately what we did um, after we were done paying we put that same payment um, into the endowed scholarship. So it was never a switch. We just shifted from Sally Mae to something that I actually wanted to pay, which was Spelman College. So really, we didn't feel any um, uh, shift in our own personal finances through doing that. And so once I realized that we had that money available to us to give um, and still could live our same lifestyle, I thought, what would it be like for us to not have to necessarily go through the middleman, which was Spelman College, but how could we create this for ourselves? And I, um, I had attended a leadership program through the American Academy of Neurology, and I was working through, I was working with a um, career coach, and one of the questions she asked me is what I want my legacy to be, or if I had to write, this was a, a humbling experience, but if I had to write my obituary, what would I want it to say? What impact do I hope my life will have. And so I started thinking about all of the doors that had been opened for me along the way. And and my hope is that I leave those doors even further open uh, than they were for me. So ultimately, um, I wanted to create that thing that I wish we always had. And that's where the impetus for Elevate Med really came from. And so The first thing really was believing that I could because I still have a full-time job. I have young children and um, this really uh, has taken a lot of work. Um, But I heard someone say once that if you're doing what you love, you never work a day in your life. And somehow um, because of this, the passion for the thing, um, somehow the energy has been there, the time has been there and it all, I mean, the support has just been incredible. So it started with believing that I could, 
Um, second, I was concerned that maybe I didn't have all of the education that I needed. So then I, I tried to pause it and I said, oh, well, maybe I need to go and get a master's degree in nonprofit development, or maybe I need to do something like that. Eric's shaking his head and he's exactly right. I did not, I had, as a physician, you have all the education you need to do this sort of thing. So um, the internet is a wonderful resource. And I actually uh, met a young lady who graduated from Spelman who happened to have a master's degree in nonprofit organization. And I asked her, what do I need to do in order to get this thing done? And so I, um, went down to the Arizona Corporation Commission where you have to file articles of incorporation. In order to do that, you have to have at least four board members. So you need a chair, president of the board, uh, a vice chair, a secretary, treasurer, and then you need a statutory agent. And as long as you have those individuals named, as well as a um, mission in regards to the sort of work that you're going to be doing, that's really what's required for the articles of incorporation. Um, And then that was um, accepted by the corporation, Arizona Corporation Commission, and then ultimately we were granted um, 501c3 status in April. So all of this started, um, we started filing paperwork right around October, end of October um, 2018. Um, And then the 501c3 came through April 2019. We launched our website and online materials in May 2019, um, and then had our first launch event in um, as a kickoff in Scottsdale, Arizona, September 21st, uh, 2019. And so I'll tell you that I really invest in ourselves. And so for the things that I felt like we needed support in, um, I hired folks so we have a, a fundraising consultant and I, because I didn't know how to fundraise. I didn't know what we were supposed to, I didn't know what kind of goals. I, I just knew that I had this big dream and I needed some people in my corner to help make it happen. And so I couldn't have been more thrilled that we reached our 12 month fundraising goal within the first five months. And so I said, Oh, wait a minute, like this thing is going to work out. And so it's those, those wins along the way that give you energy to propel you for the next thing. Because sometimes if you start with this big dream, the dream can be so big that it starts to sort of implode on you. But I think just the little steps along the way and then investing in people to um, help. I have an an administrative assistant now because tax letters are real and you have to send that stuff out by the end of the year. And um, I needed some help doing that. And so I see those pieces as investment in ourselves and um, in order to make this dream a success. Perfect. And that's why I want to do the nuts and bolts thing, because if people don't know where to begin and where to start and that it's just a process. And so there's some things I want to kind of make sure we highlight as we go back through. So the first thing you understood, your first thing you did was you had the belief, right? Um, that's why we're kind of in the personal development, um, silo in talking about this, right? Belief is number one. Um, if you, with Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich, that's all it is. It's the thought that you can do it, right? We as human beings are creators. And so we create the reality that we want. That's kind of the secret of this thing that most people don't necessarily realize. And then the next thing you did, it looked like is you built a team. You understood that there were resources that were available to you. You understood that the money that you were going to spend was going to be building an infrastructure and so that you didn't need to do it necessarily all yourself. You couldn't do it all yourself because one, you're a busy physician, you're a wife, you're a mother, you've got all these other things um, that you're into. So the one thing that's beautiful about being in the profession that we have is we have capital. We can use the capital to help us kind of leverage the things that we want to do. 
Um, and then you just went through the state specific process. Now, can you talk a little bit about getting the 501c3 because isn't that a federal designation? Yes. So then after we had the our incorporation accepted, then we had a separate application that um, another person in the team that I hadn't mentioned is our tax accountant. So having a tax accountant that um, specializes in nonprofits has been very helpful. And so then she was the one who filed all of the federal paperwork to then be able to get our 501c3 status designated. Perfect. And so the thing that many people realize is you have to get an accountant, but the extra step that you took Two extra steps that you took that I think are going to make a huge difference for you is one, the fundraising consultant. Can you talk a little bit about that? Who that person, you don't have to give their name, I'm not a commercial, but who that person is, how did you go about finding them, and what have they been able to do for you? Yeah. So I'll say her name is Tiffany Williams, and um, her company is called TJM Consulting. And she um, was was brought to my attention by the young woman that I referred to before the Spellman woman. Her name is Gabrielle Gant. She connect me with, um, with Tiffany Williams. And so I think that that was one of, if not the best contact that has really helped um, everything with Elevate Med in terms of our um, strategic planning and our um, fundraising plan. She's who's helped that uh, take shape. And I knew that, she was the right person for us when um, some, I called a couple of the references that she listed and the people were just so enthusiastic. And when um, Tiffany and I finally got on the phone, she had been working on a campaign for the African-American History Museum in D.C. And so um, I thought, well, this, this has got to work and this has got to be the right person. So I think that um, there are um, uh, finding someone who not just um, is skilled at what they do, but also believes in your mission too. And I think that's where she and I also connected um, because we've talked about how um, critical it is at times when you're at your most vulnerable, when you're sick, or if she had recently had a loved one um, uh, uh, with a significant, with a serious illness who really didn't receive the care that, that she had hoped. Um, and so I think to have that personal um, alignment with our mission is what we were um, really what we connected on. And so ultimately that was how um, she and I came together, but looking for people in that space. Um, Adrian Lance Lucas is another one. She does a lot of work with HBCUs and uh, with Spelman and Morehouse in particular. And so those are two wonderful fundraising consultants that I think if anybody is interested, it would be a place to start. Okay, great. And then, you just said you just brought on an administrative assistant. So talk about that process as well, because now you're bringing in staff and consultants. Talk about, because you, because you're essentially an employed physician, correct? That's right. And so how did you, how has been the process of bringing on staff into something that you weren't necessarily trained on how to do? Yeah. So um, Gabrielle also connected me with a, um, a branding person. Um, and so our, the branding person also handles all of the social media website. She's our kind of internal IT. So now our team um, uh, is myself, my husband. We have a, a board of directors, which is an, a national uh, board of directors. They're from all over the country. Um, and then we have an administrative assistant who's helping with all of the um, databases and um, uh, tax, as I mentioned, all the tax letters and all of that. We have the tax accountant. And then um, we have the, the web um, 
the person and then the financial uh, consultant. And so the fundraising consultant. And within our board of directors, we have a CPA who is our treasurer. And so that person as well with the tax account just to make sure that everything is fine. And so I think that um, we just recently have gotten to the point where I'm not personally, that where the foundation is funding itself, where I'm not personally having to um, pay each individual person. And that's something that has shifted just in the last couple of months where the foundation has raised enough money that um, that we've become sustainable in that way. But of course, in order to grow and, and in order to be able to take on more scholars, we have to continue to um, fundraise aggressively. Got it. And so someone listening may, s- that sounds a lot in terms of, in terms of putting pieces in place, but how much of that are you personally overseeing versus how much of that did you pick the people and allow them to do what it is that they do? Yeah, so I personally oversee all of it, and I have um, picked each person who works in the team. And there's times where you can see that some personalities work great together, and some personalities don't work as well together, and some of that is trial and error. I think that um, um, some of those, what they you know refer to in medicine, those soft skills, um, that's really what I've had to use a lot of. This is not... Um, purely scientific. This is where the art of medicine and where I'm starting to learn um, in business too, where um, some stuff you just have to feel and go with it and you try. And if you see that it's not going in the way that you want, you have to shift and change course and be nimble in that way. Same thing as, you know, within our differential diagnoses, if you see that something doesn't seem like it's adding up, you have to shift and adjust. And so um, I've been fortunate that um, the path has been made relatively straight where they're having, you know, it's just, we've only been um, uh, around for a few months now. Um, but I think that we've got a really great solid team um, where we can continue to grow. But I realize that my hope is that as continue to grow. This is going to get to beyond what I personally can manage. And so down the road, we're hopefully going to be able to hire an executive director where I'll be the founder. Um, But we have somebody who can uh, manage more of the day to day since um, I intend to continue with my day job too. Yeah. Yeah. And so in how many hours a week would you say you're putting into this right now to get this launched and off the ground? Oh, a lot. Um, I would say anywhere from um, probably around 20 hours a week would probably be, you know, probably I would say at least two hours um, uh, every day during the week and then um, hours on weekends. And so some weeks are heavier than others. We're entering um, Giving Tuesday, which is tomorrow, and um, in our end of year campaign, uh, fundraising campaign. And so there's a lot more hours that's been spent now um, than maybe in October, let's say. So there's sort of ebbs and flows. Got it. But um, the, the building uh, of this whole thing, which really has been sort of 18 months in the making, um, it takes a lot of time. Got it. And so that's good to let people have a clear understanding of, because you've gotten very far, very fast. I will say that this is not, your story is not a common story, but you also are not necessarily a common woman. So uh, I would expect nothing less from you. Um, so what I don't want people who are listening to do is to try to put the same, necessarily the same amount of pressure on themselves to get all of this done as quickly as she has. This is not necessarily a common thing. Um, but take the process and and map out the process, which, which you will have noticed in this is that there was a plan in terms of people that needed to be in place that allowed her to rock it as fast as she has to the point where it now is almost funding itself. 
-hmm. that is not necessarily the norm, but it's, it's usually not the norm because people do not put the correct team members in place to do this. And so if you listen to our podcast a lot, I talk about building a team and allowing the team to leverage your specific talents. Um, Alex has done that. And so hopefully this will be a model. Now, again, you're going to have to put the time in initially, but my suspicion is two, we're going to check in two years from now and there's going to be an executive director in place and Alex is going to be going to board meetings, not doing the day to day. And right. so for those that are thinking about leaving a legacy that is beyond who you are, um, yes, there's going to be work up front, but if you build it correctly, it will not consume you in terms of it being a, 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 a full-time job um, forever. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree. And it goes back also to that passion um, because it really has been a labor of love. And so I find myself with energy for it. And I'm grateful that my husband and I are aligned on this. And this is something that he feels strongly about too, because I can see um, if there was an alignment that that could be problematic for, um, for everything and everyone. So it's something that we're working on together. It's a project that we're working on together. It's um, something that our children are aware that we're doing. We, um, during the launch event, um, we brought them up um, for a little bit so that they could hear some of the speeches of why we exist. They could hear from a medical student about why what we're doing is so important. Um, they got to have a little fun hearing the auctioneer um, talk really fast and all of that. But I'm hoping what we're showing them is that you can do a lot with what you have and that um, that, you know, we're fortunate with what we do, that we earn um, a nice salary to be able to give us some flexibilities. Um, but you also have to be a good part of what it is that you have. And so we've talked about with them, like, how big of a house is big enough? How uh, fast of a car is fast enough? What is it that we actually need? Um, and so that way we have something to be able to give. And um, so we hope that we're, we're starting to instill in that um, that spirit of philanthropy because we recognize that's how we've been able to be so successful. Great. And so my last question is just kind of to tell the audience anything that I didn't ask you or anything you'd like to share uh, to wrap us up. Yeah. So we are a, as I mentioned, a, a, although we're, we're based in Phoenix, our intent is to be a national organization. And our goal is to have Elevate Med be as well known and sort of a household name as the United Negro College Fund. But what we're looking to do is support students who are underrepresented um, in medicine. And so specifically, that's Black or African American, Latino, Native American. And so our and, uh, Hawaiian Pacific Islander, Alaska Native. And so ultimately, um, in order to be able to really um, focus in on that group, it was also important that we have a board that represents that group of people. And so I'm really proud that our um, board members span the country and are from the backgrounds that I just described um, and around our same age. And so I think that there's this idea that in order to be a philanthropist, in order to sit on a board, that you have to be a particular age and a particular um, demographic. And the truth is that in our 40s, um, with our skin tones, we have the capacity to make a significant difference in the future of medicine. And so I hope that everybody who is listening or watching really um, feels that that sense of purpose too, because we, we know um, better 
probably than anybody else, how significant this issue is. And if we really want to make a change in medicine, I think starting with the young people and really supporting them and nurturing them to make sure that we continue to attract bright young students to go into medicine, but also help them specialize and see themselves in places that they may not have seen themselves um, Obviously, I hope that that's something that resonates. And so you have the opportunity to give. Um, Giving Tuesday is tomorrow. Um, and you can find our information on our websites or at our, on our social media. We have all of them. Um, so um, please do uh, get involved. And there's a way on the website if you're interested in, in learning more or becoming a mentor or even being on our advisory board. Um, we would love to have uh, your involvement. So I'm so grateful, Eric, for the opportunity today. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. So, but I need you to go ahead and give the website and all the information so people can, can contact you. Now, I'll put it on the show notes, but go ahead because it's an audio, mostly audio medium. So, people are going to listen to it and potentially write it down. So, so speak clearly and slowly. Um, website and best ways for people to be able to contact um, Elevate Med. Yep. So, it's www.elevatemed.org uh, is our website. And then on Facebook, we're Elevate Med. Um, the Twitter and Instagram are at Elevate Med Inc. Inc. And so you can find us all of those ways. And um, tomorrow, since it's Giving Tuesday, Facebook is matching the first $7 million uh, in donations. And so um, if you donate through our Facebook page, we'll have the opportunity for your donation to be matched. All right. So I'll send that. Well, this won't air by that time, but I will send it out through our um through our Facebook group to people um, as a place that they can um, donate as well. So anything else you want to want to tell the people? Otherwise we're going to wrap up. Yeah, we're um, uh, going to be announcing the 10 schools that we'll be partnering with in uh, the first quarter and then um, selecting the students in second quarter. And so our uh, $100,000 will go to 10 deserving students this spring, and then we'll continue to grow from there. So um yeah, so it's really exciting. I'm grateful, as you mentioned, this has happened very quickly. Um, but thankfully, our mission and vision has resonated with others. And it's been incredible just to, to see, hear, and feel their support. No, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll definitely have you back on um, another time to kind of talk, to follow your growth and to, to promote you as well. Um, and so go ahead and give everybody the website again. www.elevatemed.org. Okay, so I want to thank uh, Alex Porter Humphrey from Elevate Med to, for coming on the Physicians Road podcast. Um, please go to our, you can go to our website, thephysiciansroad.com for other episodes and other resources. We'll have um, all of her contact information for Elevate Med on the show notes page for this particular episode. You can also check out our Facebook group where we have much more in-depth conversations around um, topics such as these. And it's just on Facebook, just put in the Physician's Road and it will pop up. Just answer the questions and we'll, we'll, we'll add you in from there. Thanks again, Alex. Appreciate you having you on. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free your today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. 
please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.